Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, why is it that God is so concerned about sex? Uh, we go through the word and I mean just for us here we've been in 1st Corinthians and in chapter 5 we were talking about that issue and last week chapter 6 we were talking about that issue and here at the end of chapter 6 this week we're going to be talking about this issue and we're actually going to um, take a break from 1st Corinthians after this week because we get into chapter 7 and Paul says okay now about all those things you wrote to me okay there are questions and so we're kind of going to take a break here and and look at some other things in the Word. But even there, at the beginning of that chapter, he starts off talking about the sexual relationship between husbands and wives and encouraging that and and reasons why. So everywhere we go in the Scripture, at some point, I don't mean every passage, every page, every chapter, but I mean as you keep working through Scripture, you're going to keep running across something related to sex. Yeah, pretty much every list in the New Testament, a list of sins, the things that, that come from the flesh will include some of the sexual sins in that list. Um, but not everything in the Bible is negative towards sex or talking bad about it. We have an entire book, the Song of Solomon, which deals with romance and, and uses some fairly sexually charged language in that, describing a, a, a relationship godly relationship between a man and woman. Uh, But it is just, it's throughout the Bible. Okay? Now, you might not think that, but that's true. Now, in our culture uh, and the culture of Paul's day in the Roman Empire, um, sex was just prevalent. Um, I mean, you think in our society, if you want to, you go through your day and wherever you go and whatever you listen to, whatever you might watch, whatever you look, don't you find that there's this sexual component that just keeps coming at you and coming at you and coming at you? And there are lots of people in our culture who would say, well, the only problems we have with human sexuality is what religion has caused because they've made it wrong and guilty and you know, all of that kind of stuff. And you know what? Sometimes they're right, occasionally, not usually. But um, So our society doesn't see it the way God sees it, and we are bombarded by that. Uh, but God basically, I mean, we're going to talk about that some in, uh, today, about what he did in the beginning. Uh, but as God has created human beings to be sexual beings, and when he's done creating and he looks at his creation, he says his whole creation, including this dynamic, is very good. Okay, that is God's intent for sex. But today what we're going to find out is, you know, I, I think the Apostle Paul here brings some things to the forefront that will help us understand why God cares so much about sex why he has so much to say about it to us, okay? So let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You know, I think largely in our culture, 
And I think in, in the Apostle Paul's culture at this in this day and time that sex is very much viewed as just an itch that you have that you need to scratch. Okay? And that's all it is, just like the mosquito bite I have right here. All right, so let's, let's begin. Let's read through the passage and then we'll talk, work our way back through it. Verse 12. By the way, it's page 1314 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. If you don't have a Bible with you, we really encourage you to pick up one of those in the chairs and follow along on page 1314. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord. Let me stop right there just to just make it clear again to remind you, some of you may not have been here when I've said it before. When the Bible talks about, in general terms, about sexual immorality, it's talking about any uh, expression of, uh, I don't want to say it, any sort of erotic expression of your sexuality outside of the bounds of marriage, okay, of a man and woman, all right, who are committed to marriage and to a, a lifetime relationship. That is where God set the boundaries up. All right, and so that means anything else, anything else that's outside of that where we're pursuing either actively in our lives or mentally where we're pursuing uh, sexual excitement, sexual arousal, any of those things uh, all the way from just thinking about something to looking at something to actually being involved in something, it includes all of those, okay? God's intent is for our full sexual expression to be freely expressed within the marriage relationship of a man and woman who are viewing marriage as a, a lifetime commitment. That's God's plan. That's God's boundaries. So when Paul talks about sexual immorality, he's talking about anything outside of that. And, uh, and as we're going to see, obviously he's, he's considering a lot of this as to be actual physical sexual engagement outside of marriage. But anyway, verse 13, the middle of it. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? And a harlot uh, referring to, could be a prostitute, could just be an immoral a woman in this situation. But shall I then take the members of Christ, my body, and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Now, just a little background here. In Corinth and throughout the Roman world, uh, there were often places of worship, temples, uh, and part of the way they worshiped God was with sexual engagement with someone through a prostitute. And the prostitutes could be male, they could be female, they could be opposite sex, they could be same sex, okay? But the idea is that this is how they worshiped their false gods. It was part of their worship, okay? And so when he's talking about a harlot here, he's also talking about this probably most likely a connection uh, in those temples, all right, verse 16 again, or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. Where have we heard that before? 
Someone knows. Where? Genesis, that's right. Genesis chapter two, when it describes the first marriage, Adam and Eve, it just talks about them that way. Verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Father, we come to you and ask you to, uh, that your spirit would teach us, that you would speak to each of us the things that we need to understand from your word here. And uh, we yield ourselves to you, Lord, in, in, in what's true and right and seek your uh, grace and help to respond in ways that honor you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Paul is starting off here, you know, and, and I'll, I'll elaborate in a little more in a minute, but this idea of people saying, hey, it's my body, I can do anything I want with it, right? It's lawful, I can do, it's my choice, it's nobody else's choice. And then he talks about the uh, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. And, and the comparison there is, well, having sex is, is you have a sexual appetite just as surely as you have a physical appetite. You have, a, I mean, a, to eat, right? So you eat. We do that, so sex is the same way. It's just another um, desire that we have that we can just fulfill however we choose. But this is so important, this truth, because there's a real tendency in our culture, and maybe not just ours, but to say that, well, if something comes natural, it must be what? Right, must be good, it comes natural to us. Very, very important for us to understand in this is that natural desires do not determine right and wrong, okay? Now we can have natural desires that aren't necessarily right or wrong, they're just desires. But the fact that I have a desire, say, well, that's a natural, came to me naturally, so it must be okay, all right? Well, first of all, we should see that that is, I mean, that's typically just a way to rationalize and justify what I feel like doing. Okay? When I say, well, if it's natural, it must be right. But let's think about this. Even in life, if you have two little children, in fact, this happens probably downstairs in our nursery, off and on, and one of them has a toy that the other one wants, is that a natural desire for that child to want with the toy the other to child has? Yes. And because it's their natural desire, what will they do? Oftentimes they will take it away, and if they fight over it, they may take it away and hit the other child with it, and they yell back and forth, scream, right? And what do we tell them? Not because we're Christians, just because we're adults or parents. What do we tell them? No, 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 you can't do that. And what are we telling them? And so many words saying, look, I get it. You have a natural desire to do that, but that doesn't make it right. And see, so we understand that just because something comes natural doesn't make it right. And that's the first response to... Uh, the Corinthians here. So let's look here again. He starts, Paul starts says, you know, all things are lawful for me. All things are not helpful, or excuse me, uh, all things are lawful for me. He says it twice. And I, I really think that the apostle Paul here 
is not trying to say that sexual immorality is okay for me. That's not what he's saying. I think he's addressing the attitudes and the beliefs of the Corinthians who were holding to, we can do whatever we feel like doing. You say, he's, it's like he's saying, okay, you say all things are lawful to you, so let's just go with that for a minute. Let's just go with that for a minute. All right, so if you say all things are lawful to me, guess what? All things aren't helpful. You can say all things are lawful for me. He says, but if you aren't careful, you can be brought under the control of something other than God and his spirit. Okay, and so that's what he is. So here's the idea. They're saying, and have you heard this in our culture? I have a right to do with my body whatever I think is acceptable. Right? Have you heard that? Okay, that, that attitude's my body. I can do with it what I want. So the Apostle Paul says, okay, all right, let's start there. Let's just go with that reasoning. Uh, it, it isn't okay, and we're going to see that. He's going to make it very clear. But he says, if that's the case, let's ask this. Does this help me become what God wants me to be? And this, this is good to apply to anything, not just sexual morality. It's any area where you're having to make a decision. And you ask, is, is this going to help me become what God wants me to be? All right? And uh, he's obviously he's implying here in this situation, no, this isn't, sexual immorality is not going to help you become what God wants you to be. And the second question, he says, I'm not going to be brought under the power of this. I don't want to control. So the second question is, does this have the potential to begin controlling me? Does this have the potential to begin controlling me? Well, I read an interesting um, statement this past week, and it said this, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but it says, if you are unable to say no to something, you are under its control. Well, of course. But it said, if you are unwilling to say no to what you ought to say no to, you are under its control. So even if, if you're unwilling, well, I, I'm not going to do that. Well, you are under the control of that. And what are we to be under control of? The Holy Spirit, God himself, right? That is who is to be exercising control in our lives. And we exercise our control in line with his boundaries for these things. All right. Uh, so those two questions. And so right away, he says, even if we go with what you're saying that all things are lawful to me, guess what? Sexual immorality is not going to help you become who God wants you to be, and it really does have the power to bring you under its control. Now, I'm, I'm not asking for a show of hands on any of these kinds of things today, okay? But I want you to think and resonate. Has there ever been a time in your life when the pull of sex and maybe your decisions in that area did seem to have power over you? You made decisions that ladies said, what was I thinking? Okay? That is a reality for us. All right. Then the next thing we see here again, you know, this idea that, hey, let's look at it in verse number 13. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. So in other words, it's saying, hey, you know, once again, I'm hungry. I want to eat. I eat because I'm hungry. This whole thing. And, and when it's all said and done, the whole body's going to be gone, right? We're dying put in the grave. And so this idea is that living for Christ 
My body doesn't, it doesn't really matter what I do with my body. Because it's a spiritual thing. When we talk about you getting saved, what do we talk about? Do you instantly have new superhuman body? No, we're talking about inside, aren't we? Deep down in your spirit, you were born again, and it begins changing your soul. And then, you know, we say someday your body will rise from the dead. Well, is it true that our, our bodies don't really matter then? Do you think it's true? It's again, our culture would say, what's the big deal? Well, God says it's a big deal. You see, your body matters to God. It matters to God. Look at it here. The second half of verse 13. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for what? The Lord. And the Lord for the body. God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Um, your body matters to God. So much so that even after you die, that at some point God is going to raise you with a new body, yes, but somehow connected to you. Just like your, anybody, is anybody's body here connected to you today? My body is connected to me. And so he's going to raise us. I mean, God cares about our bodies. Somehow in his plans, our bodies matter. In verse 15, as we says, do you not know that your bodies, you know, the, uh, are members of Christ? Our bodies really, really matter. And we see this uh, over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 when the apostle Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your, what? Bodies. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, I think it's important to understand this. When Paul says this to us, he's going for an all-in surrender to God. Not just my body, but I've noticed something. Wherever my body goes, I go. You guys that way too? When my body walks over here, I walk over here. Which means my, I know my soul and my spirit don't have a material location, but they go with me, all right? And so when Paul here is saying present your bodies, he really means your whole being. Because wherever your body is, you are. And so you present your bodies to God, you're giving your entire self to him. And so our bodies matter to God because it is connected to who we are. Uh, very, very important. Both the inward and the outward matters to God. All right, so here in verses 15 and 17, through 17 again, it says, do not know that your bodies are members of Christ, right? When we become saved, the moment we're saved, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes us and puts us into the body of Christ. And he doesn't take me separate from my body, but he puts the whole me into the body of Christ. Uh, your bodies are members of Christ. And he talks about don't join them to a, a harlot then. Verse 17, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. All right, so let's, yeah, excuse me, verse 16 again. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. So we go back to Genesis for that. So let me just say something to you that you may not have thought much about before. But in Genesis chapter 1, God talks about making us in his image. So listen, first, sex is part of God's image in you. 
Your sex is part of God's image within you. Uh, you know, in, in human beings, it's part of it. And we see in Genesis, what, God created man in his image, right? In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So from the very beginning, the very first time that we see man mentioned and man created, it says he's in God's image, and that includes what? Male and female. In other words, we need both sexes to try to kind of capture this image of God. There are things about God that are very masculine. There are things about God that are very feminine. Okay? And so we have both male and female. Um, let me see here, yeah. All right, so think about this. What I would say to you is when God first tells us, okay, he's this created man, male and female, in his image, um, that that must be pretty fundamental to who we are as people. Our sex must be pretty fundamental. Because he starts right in the beginning, right? Very first time. Now, and I think in a practical way, we can understand this. Think about this. Let's say you, you go and visit somebody's house, friend, and you're outside, and then the neighbor comes over, and the neighbor introduces you to his wife. And let's assume it's a heterosexual marriage, right? Introduces to his wife. Well, years later, and, and you meet this, this lady and you talk with her, and you know, years later, many years later, someone says, hey, do you remember that day when you met Francis? What color hair did she have? I'm not really sure. You know? Uh, how old was she? Yeah, I'm not sure, you know. Well, was she a man or a woman? Woman? No, it could have gone the other way, right? Husbands, wives, men. But do you understand that you will probably never, ever forget whether someone was a man or a woman? If you remember meeting someone, you won't say, hmm, is that a man or a woman? Now, that, that in our culture could happen. But let me say, because you could meet someone now and, and you, don't, you can't tell if they're a man or a woman. True? That's, that's sometimes true. But let me tell you, what, what will you remember then? You'll remember, I couldn't tell if he was a man or a woman. So you can remember, this, this is how fundamental our human sexuality is. You can forget everything else, but you're not going to forget that. Why? Because in the beginning, God made us male and female as part of his image. That's how fundamentally sex is interwoven into our being. Now, because that's true, there is a soul connection to our sexuality. Okay? A soul connection to our sexuality. Uh, I am convinced that men have male souls and women have female souls. Now, let me just elaborate here. It's important to understand. Sometimes when Paul is using words, he uses them very technically. And when he's talking in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and he talks about, I'm praying that God would sanctify you completely, sanctify your whole being, that he would sanctify your spirit and your soul and your body. And he, I think he's speaking very technically there of the different aspects of us. Other times, the Apostle Paul just uses the word spirit to refer to our whole inner being. And this is what he's doing here. He's, he's, he's contrasting the outward physical 
with the inward, which would include everything on the inside, including our soul. And so there is a soul connection. And, and, and when, when he says in Galatians, he says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He's not saying there is no difference. There's a huge difference between the Jews and Greeks, weren't they? There's a huge difference between slaves and free people. And there's a huge difference. Anybody notice between men and women? Okay. There's a huge difference. What he's saying here is when it comes to a relationship with Christ, we are absolutely equal. We all come to Christ exactly the same way. We are all of the same value to Christ. It doesn't matter what culture or your religion or anything else tells you. We come before Christ equals. And that's what he's saying there. That does not change the fact that we are very, very different. We are male and female. Uh, and it makes a big difference. Um, the whole person. Okay, there's absolutely a difference, a soul connection to our sexuality. Now, here in verse 17, he says, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. So what happens the moment we receive Jesus as Savior? We know every sin is forgiven, right? We know we receive eternal life. But what happens? God himself moves in, doesn't he? Our spirit that was dead to God now comes to life because the spirit of God himself has actually moved in and we are now inseparable from him. We can never be separated from God ever again. We have become one. It's as though that spirit within us is one spirit. Is that my spirit or is it his spirit? No, it's us. It's me. It's our spirit. I don't know. But he says one spirit, right? And we come, that's how united we become with Christ. We become one with him. And so what does that mean for us? Uh, you know, this, in, in Genesis, he says, you know, when husband and wife come together, they, they become one flesh. There's this actual connection that, that uh, as we're going to see, goes beyond physical. But for Christian couples, sex is sacred. Sacred means that God is part of the picture. God is part of the union that occurs. Because uh, the Apostle Paul here is making a real case here, the fact that sex is not just about your body. Sex is about your whole person. Okay? And so for Christian couples, we are surrendered to God. God is within us. He's inseparable from us. Uh, sex affects our entire being. God is there. Sex is a holy thing when it's within the boundaries that God has set. A very holy thing. So sex is sacred. God is part of the union. We become one with the Lord. His spirit joined with our spirits, making sex sacred. Now, I'm going to ask you to, I don't know if I really need forgiveness, but forgive me for a little bit of the crudeness of this illustration, Okay. Imagine that you are, in, male or female, doesn't matter. You have, you're married, you have a very godly spouse, and you meet someone outside of your marriage, and you bring that person home. And you bring that person home, and, and you engage sexually with that person in the presence of your spouse. That's a terrible thing, wouldn't it be? 
And our culture will tell you maybe it isn't, but it is. Um, do you understand that's sort of what's going on with us and God when we're involved in sexual morality? Because God is where? Where is he? He's within us. We are one spirit with him. And so we are involving God in our immorality. That is a big, big deal. Sex is sacred and we need to keep it sacred. And so if you're involved in sexual immorality, you know, whether if you're married or even if you're not, whether anybody else knows about it or not, God knows because he's present with you and you're involving him in it. And Paul's kind of like, how can you do that? Don't do that. Um, it will affect your relationship with God. It, it, it will not take away your relationship with God, but it will affect it. It will affect what you experience in it. It will affect your freedom in your relationship with God, just as it would with your spouse. Uh, so what you're doing is going to affect that. Verse 18, he says, flee sexual immorality. I'll talk a little more about that in a minute. But he says, every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Hmm. So trying to figure all this out has been a bit of a challenge. And you, you read... Uh, what other Bible scholars say, and they're, they're kind of all over the place on it. And, and so the reality is, is I don't know perfectly how to explain to you what Paul is saying. Except this, that sexual sin negatively affects our souls and our bodies, both. Sexual sin negatively affects our souls and our bodies. You see, this is the way God created us, that there is a physical sexual connection and there's also a soul connection there. And um, one begets the other. So let me, let me uh, see if I can uh, um, elaborate on this here. My sense is this, that when God, the, the, the point of sex in marriage Besides well, many things, it actually portrays an intimacy with God that only we can have with God because we're supposed to have this intimacy only with our spouse and that's a picture of our relationship with God. Um, but it's like this, that God's intent is for us as, as a husband and wife before we're married, but we come together and, and we begin to intertwine. We begin to intertwine, you know, we get to know each other, we attract each other, we have experiences with each other, we have conversations with each other, we have hearts, desires toward each other, and we have prayer for each other. And the idea is that we're coming together in, in, in intimacy at a soul level, and then the sexual part of this relationship is kind of like you've come together like this, it's intended to be like this glue that comes over outside and, and just binds this together into a closeness that you have with nobody else, okay? Now what happens all the time in our culture and what has undoubtedly happened in many of our lives here today is that we came together with people, but, but way before we reached that point and we said, okay, I do, I will, right? 
When we're still separated like this, we pour the glue over it. And it doesn't work right. Do you understand? Is this picture, is it helping? Does it understand? And we, in fact, I, tell, I guarantee you that, that couples who are involved sexually before they get married, especially Christian couples, find themselves struggling to finish getting closer together. Now, let me say before anybody doubts it, God is bigger than your sexual failures. And he can work in your life and do miraculous things. However, that does not mean there will not be struggle to get there. Okay? So this is, uh, sexual sin negatively affects us. It negatively affects our souls. It negatively affects our bodies. It damages and scars our souls. It hardens us in ways that we're getting hardened before we are, our souls are intermingled here. Um, and, and as I said a minute ago, to be open with you, I don't fully understand how this all works, but God says that it does, that the sexual immorality affects my soul. There's a soul connection, but it also affects my body. And, and I think the idea is this. You know, he says, every sin that a man does outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. So if I get angry with you and I yell at you and I say bad things, I use my body to say bad words to you, that sin occurs within me. My anger, my hatred, from whatever it is, that bubbles up and I use my body to express it. But my body ultimately is not affected by that. The sin occurs in my heart and mind and soul, my decision-making capacity. That's where this sin occurred. Uh, violence, some, same kind of thing. And, but he's saying here is that when it comes to sexual morality, the body is not neutral like that. Your body is affected somehow, some way. And there's this body-soul connection. So it, the soul affects the body and the body affects the soul and the soul affects the body and the body affects the soul. And we are damaged by it. We are hurt by it. Okay? When we are involved in sexual immorality. The point is this. However this works, you're not doing yourselves any favor when you sin sexually. Whether that's just in your mind like Jesus talks about. Whether that's looking at something you know that you're watching. Whether that is actually being sexually involved with somebody that you are not married to. Um, now, considering the culture we lived in, we live in, and the fact that many of us did not come till Christ till we, till we were older, and even for people who grew up in the church, and you know, there's a high likelihood that the vast majority of us in here have been negatively impacted by sexual sin, ours or somebody else's sin. And it's easy to say, what hope is there? Well, in Christ, guess what? There's always hope. In Christ, when we yield to him, he can come in and, and be, he can work on changing us and growing us and taking us through those hard things that we have to work through. And we can become shining testimonies for him. But how do we, how do we go forward from here? All right, so just let me say to you, if you're here today and you have experience sexual sin by your own choice or by someone else's, um, you are not stuck. 
I mean, you may be stuck temporarily, but you're not stuck with God. All right? And you're not alone. You're not alone. This is the culture that we live in. This is where we have been saved from. And if you miss that, praise the Lord for that. Okay? Praise the Lord about that. Uh, So how are we going to do this? Well, let's look here in verse 18 again. He says, flee sexual immorality. So the very first thing you want to do is this. You want to run away from all sexual immorality. Run away from it. Now, when I was, I can't remember how old I was. I think 11 or 12. I could have been right after seventh grade. I'm not sure. I don't remember. I wasn't very old. And I was walking down the street near in a neighborhood close to mine. And in the front yard, there was a little toddler sitting and playing. And there was a German shepherd. I'm walking down the road, minding my own business, but all of a sudden, somehow or other, that German shepherd got it in its dog mind that I was a threat to that toddler. And it came running at me, not barking, it came running at me, and I just thought, there's a dog coming, until it jumped and knocked me flat and was after me and on me and trying to bite me. And, you know, it was, my back got scratched up and the shirt was torn where he was going after me. And, of course, do you know what I did? Once that dog hit me and knocked me down, I just, my adrenaline went through the roof and I was yelling and screaming and rolling and trying to get away. I was doing anything I could to get away from that dog that was attacking me. And I didn't care what I looked. I didn't think, oh, this is going to look stupid. I didn't care what somebody else thought of me. All I knew is I needed to get away from this. And let me say to you that if you have the sexual morality, you're up where Paul says, you know, hey, it's bringing you under its control and you find yourself in that situation, you need to say, I got to run away from you. I got to get away from this. And I don't care what other people think. I don't care what I look like to other people. I, I have to get away from this. I have to say no to what is causing this in my life. And so that may be removing opportunities from yourself. Uh, Lots of ways things we could talk about. Uh, it could mean that you need to adjust a relationship. Could mean you need to end a relationship. Uh, but the idea is, it is so serious, and the damage that it can do in your life, if you allow it to remain, you need to run. Flee. Get away. Okay? Second thing here, he says, in verse 19... Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Okay? So the second thing you want to do is remember that God lives in you and he is holy. Remember what we, we, we looked and what's Paul say? Are you really going to bring God into this? Because if you're going to be into it, God's going to be there. Remember that he's holy. He lives in you. He's holy. That Do we really want to do that to God? We don't, do we? I mean, I think the reality is we would say, no, of course we don't want to do that. So we need to remember that. Remember that he is there. Remember that he is holy. And so he said, you're the temple of God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Third thing, view your body as God's temple to be used for worshiping him in every area of life. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Eduardo. Remember that your body is God's temple and it's to worship him in every area of life. All of your relationships, your work, your uh, hobbies, your thinking, your plans, everything. I'm the temple of God. This is where, where is God in this world? Where is he? 
We could say, well, we know the right answer. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Yes, but where is God in this world where, if, if I want to go looking for God, where can I find him? In his people. In his people. In you and in me. And so that's what we are in this world. And uh, so we need to remember that. Fourth thing, remind yourself of what it took for God to save you. That's what it says here, that you were are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Uh, do you remember the song that says, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin on that cross? And we know that it cost the Son of God, but what, was, what did that cost for the Holy Son of God to take the guilt for all of our sins and to hang on the cross to doing that to where somehow, I don't quite understand this, somehow rather the father turns away and the son says, why have you forsaken me? What was that? A, that's, you know, so I want to remind myself of that. And I want to be grateful. Because when I'm grateful for that, I much more want to do what's right when I'm grateful. And then finally, live every part of your life in a way that points yourself and others to God. And that's what he says, and, and glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. How do we glorify God? Well, I think, once again, let's go back and ask Paul's two questions. Is this what's going on in my relationship here, or in my life here? Is this helping me become what God wants me to be? Okay, and also, is, am, am I potentially being brought under the control of this? And if you, if you can't say yes to the first one, yes, this is helping me, and you look at the second and say, well, it's not helping me, and it may be bringing me under control, then i got to do what? Not just with sexual morality, but with anything. What do we say? I need to step away from that. Not, it's not what I'm supposed to have. It's not what I want. And then he talks about glorifying God, and that's a nice religious term, isn't it? Glorify God. What does it mean to glorify God? Well, the, the best way I can understand it is this, and, and I, I'll do this by walking through a question with you. What, how much of God is glorious? All of them. Uh, and glory is this huge weight, weightiness to him and amazingness and holiness, everything that goes along with it. So, uh, everything about God is glorious. Is there anything about God that's not glorious? No, every part of God is, if they can't even really say parts of God. <laughs> He's glorious. Well, how do I glorify him? Can I add to that? Can you add to that? We can't do anything to add to that. But what I can do is let it be seen in my life. I can let God be seen in my life. Because if you see God in my life, you see his glory, and he is now glorified in me. And so we want to look at our lives and say, okay, how about on all these areas of life? And here we're talking about sexual morality, but any area of my life, how would I live if I was going to allow God to be seen in me? And you want to think in the area of sexual morality. How would I live if my desire of my heart was to let God be seen in me, to be glorified in me. How would I live in this issue? So I think you can see, as God is saying, what he says that's up with, with sex and all that's involved with it and what it affects. And, and let me remind you that when God sets something off limits and calls it sin, 
that I think always, one, at least one of the reasons he does that is because it's not good for you. And so he has set boundaries on sex, human sexuality. Why? Because outside the boundaries is not good for you. But if we will follow his ways, we will enjoy his blessings in these things. And so you say, okay, I'm going to live openly. I'm going to live like this. I'm going to glorify God. I have bad news for you. And that is that you are not capable of overcoming sexual morality on your own. In your own strength. You aren't. God is. God is capable. And so you humble yourself to him and you look to him for his grace and his enabling. And one of the ways he's enabled us is that he says, you know, we have each other. And, you know, when I said, when I, that dog was on top of me, I could care less what anybody thought about me. I knew I had to try to get away from that. Oh, and by the way, I didn't die. The neighbor came out, called the dog off, and got my parents, and all this kind of stuff. So it all got squared away. But the point is, I didn't care. And I want to say to you today that if you're struggling with sexual morality, you need to not care about whether someone else knows or not. And I'm not saying you've got to blab it. <laughs> but you need to find someone, whether it's a, one of the pastors or pastor's wives or... Uh, a godly Christian, someone that you can trust and that you can at least say, hey, I'm having a problem here. I'm struggling here. Um, and if you'll do that, God's grace will enable you to make progress in this area, to get freer and freer and freer, which is really coming to experience the freedom that Jesus has already bought for you. Now, if you've never received Christ as Savior, I can't offer you much hope. It starts there. And as always, please, if you aren't sure what I mean when I say that, please reach out to me, talk to me. I'll be glad to help you to know how to have a relationship with Jesus that can help you to get free in this area. Okay? All right. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your word. And then, Lord, you address things that, that, honestly, Lord, I probably wouldn't want to bring up and address. But it's in your word, and you give us your word because we need to know it. It's light for us, Lord. It's life for us. I pray that um, whether we're the ones that are experiencing the struggle with sexual immorality or whether we know someone who is, Lord, help us to see what a huge deal it is but secondly, help us to see that we are, don't have to be captured by that. It doesn't have to run our lives. It doesn't have to ruin our lives. That we can go forward with you, make better choices, different choices that will set us free. And uh, I pray that nobody here, Lord, will, uh, that Satan will be able to deceive them about where they're at and what's going on. We need your light to shine into our hearts and minds on this. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you as always. I know, again, this is a subject that we don't always like to talk to somebody about, but please, uh, we would be glad to help you. Those of you who are watching, we'd be glad to help you uh, any way we can on this, okay? Thank you.